Hello. Hello. That's so my impression of the ice cream truck that drives around my neighborhood. <laughs> I just had a kind of a weird thought based on this. Is watching your waveform appear in whatever recording software you're using a form of like synesthesia? Because now you're uh, seeing sounds. <laughs> I, I guess. No, I guess. Nate? I guess the first oscilloscope would have broken that ground, you know? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, all the way back. At, when was the oscilloscope invented? Like the 40s or something like that? Like maybe even A long time ago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, old enough that it formed like, I think the main like background effect for like the the original series of, of The Outer Limits. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty old show. Um, but oh. uh, yeah. it was invented uh, in the latter portion of the 19th century. It's old oh, as fuck. Damn. <laughs> wow. I've been seeing sounds years. for so long. Yeah. When, <laughs> when, when was baseball invented? <laughs> uh, yesterday. It's brand oh. new. <laughs> So uh, the, yeah, yeah like, so this is not a historic uh, merger of of the minor leaguers with the uh, made with the uh, major league baseball players oh. association. <laughs> oh, I yeah, see. I we're gonna, say, we're like minor league serious. baseball. That's that's even older than the oscilloscope as we transition <laughs> into. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty dope that the because you know we're not going to do a whole story on this because we already covered it, but like the minor leaguers have finally been acknowledged by major league baseball and voluntarily recognizes members of the MLBPA, which fucking rocks. I was surprised. Yeah, Yeah, me too. Um, Honestly, with the history of the way uh, sports organizations, franchises, companies, it it seems to be different in every sport. Uh, Yeah, they do vary. The way that they've handled uh, uh, this kind of organization from their players has never been as weirdly kind of just accepting as as this one has yeah like i mean especially if you look at like the like the nhl union like mm-hmm. the the owners in the nhl will just lock out the players whenever if they're like they they i think literally they just do a cost benefit analysis and they're like if we the the strike will cost us this much not giving the players any more money will cost us this much whatever we don't give a shit about this sport and i know that's more or less the same situation in all of the sports Mm -hmm. because they're all billionaire psychos but like yeah there are different labor levels of labor relations but it's also does vary like with the strengths of the union like the nflpa is a pretty weak union and so Mm -hmm. they don't tend to win as as good of a contract as say for instance like the uh, MLBPA. And there's, of course, there's like racial elements in there for sure. Uh, like, mm-hmm. because like football relies on disposable, cheap, uh, largely African American labor, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is also true in the NBA, but it's so much less damaging to your body that you do tend to have a much longer career. And so yeah. individual players have a lot more, uh, like bargaining power. I was going to say there is a pretty sharp line in terms of the amount that it puts your body through to play in sports like American football and hockey and mm-hmm. then all of the other sports, which are probably significantly less damaging. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. So and and then, yeah, major and baseball obviously is at least culturally coded as a white sport, although mm-hmm. there are, of course, you know, it's hugely popular in Latin America. Yeah, it's um, like famous that uh, American uh, recruiters often go to the Caribbean, Central America, mm-hmm. South America to do their recruiting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, so the, the 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 union in the MLB does produce some of the like best contracts for the workers. Like mm-hmm. they're fully guaranteed. Like I mean, there's the joke every year that it's Bobby Bonilla Day because he's like. Been, hasn't been in the league in years and keeps getting a massive paycheck from the Mets because that was in the terms and they can't get out of it because of how strong the union is. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> You'd love to see so, it. So yeah. Great to see this from the, from baseball that these minor leaguers who have just been so absolutely horrifically exploited finally have a union to fight for them. So I think it's going to be really, really encouraging to see what changes. Cause we could really, I think this could make for some huge changes to the minor leagues and, and that's really good. Absolutely. Well, speaking of huge changes, Stoppage, everybody. You're your number one commenting on the State of the World podcast. <laughs> That's uh, right. My name's John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we are an entirely listener-supported show, so thank you so much for any money that you're giving us on Patreon, which is a great place to listen to all of the bonus episodes and extra content that we do for the show. If you're not in the Discord already, please get in as soon as you can. It's absolutely free, and it's a great place to hang out. If you are a patron and you don't have any stickers yet, just message us on Patreon, and we would be thrilled to send you some. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or just subscribe, like, and comment on our YouTube channel, that we recently launched. And uh, we also want to extend a special welcome to new listeners that we may have picked up after we were very lucky to have Justin Rosniak on the show and extremely blessed to have the Well, There's Your Problem folks cross-post with us. So if you found us through that episode, welcome. I hope you like talking really in-depth about labor because uh, that's what we do on this show. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) unfortunately, we cannot promise to bring you two hours of incredibly in-depth and riveting uh, history of trains. (laughs) every week i i mean i i certainly enjoyed learning about all that and it seems like a lot of other folks did Roz was a fantastic guest really loved having him on the show uh but if you like the talk about labor we can promise more of that (laughs) right well and i mean we do also have all of our old overtime episodes where we go over like rank and file unionism the decline of american unionism the history of the repressive state apparatus in regards to labor Mm. so i mean another reason to become a patron yeah, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but, but uh, back to the rails. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so uh, we had, I think, about 24 hours before everything changed <laughs> after we re- uh, released that the episode on the potential for the rail strike. Mm-hmm. And, and so as I'm sure most people are now aware, with just under 24 hours to go before the potential deadline for a strike, There was the announcement uh, by uh, Marty Walsh, the labor secretary, and then later by President Biden, that there had been a tentative agreement struck between the two biggest unions that had not signed a contract yet, uh, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, and Smart TD, the the sheet metal workers. Those are the two big unions on the rails, and so, you know, come out and they're all excited. There's a big announcement. Biden has a big press conference. He comes out and says, quote, this is a win for tens of thousands of rail workers and for their dignity and the dignity of their work. It's a recognition of that. End quote. <laughs> There's, okay. For what? That's a, that is really uh, taking the victory lap real early on that one. 
Yeah, yeah, I remember when he when he said that. I just shared it and I threw the old Bush mission accomplished photo on top because I mean, what else can you do? <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Well, and, and it's, it, there's a there's a twofold thing happen where he's trying to take credit for something he didn't do, and he's trying to take credit for something that hasn't happened yet. And and trying to take credit for something that also probably isn't good. Like, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, immediately you had all of this cheering from the press about, look, they averted the rail strike, there's not going to be a rail strike. Amtrak began restoring services that it had canceled in prior days. The rail companies ended the embargoes that they had placed on agricultural goods that probably should have been illegal uh, in an attempt to force Congress to do more or less this. But... One of the things that, you know, like we wanted to really hit at here is that unlike what a lot of the mainstream press has been discussing and the the great celebration from Biden and all the Democrats on, on averting a rail strike is the fact that the rail strike is only, at least for the moment, temporarily delayed because while there has been a tentative agreement reached by the bargaining teams – the tentative agreement hasn't gone to the membership. And in fact, the vast majority of the membership hasn't even seen the tentative agreement yet. So there yeah. is still very much the possibility that the workers could vote this down because ultimately, you know, as with any democratic organization, the workers are going to have the final say here and they could very well come back and say, no, this isn't good enough. Like we are at a moment now where we actually have the opportunity to strike we may we have no idea when we may ever get that again and and the from the details that we've heard it doesn't really sound like there's been enormous changes to the situation that led us to the potential for a rail strike in the first place no yeah because i mean I, i assume that like if you know the workers had had access to all of the details of the tentative agreement we would actually ourselves even have more details than what we got uh and so i mean let's kind of hit what we do know at this current point in time yeah so uh, again uh, unfortunately pretty much everything we uh know is mostly still rumor so i gotta Mm -hmm. like put an asterisk on pretty much everything we're gonna discuss in this part but there does seem to be at least some sort of agreement that on the broad strokes of the changes that were made from the presidential emergency board recommendations to the tentative agreement that BLET and smart TD agreed to. And so this is mostly coming out of like a combination of both the statement from the unions uh, after the announcement of the TA and then reporting from people like Jonah Furman and like uh, Jeff Shirky and, and some other, the really good uh, labor journalists out there. There's a, a, a lot of them despite the fact that all the media doesn't seem to mostly want to hire them. Uh, but so the, the two big changes appear to be one addressing sick days. Obviously this was like the big thing that we were talking about. The fact that workers can't take time off to go to the doctor without getting fired. And so this, the rumor of how this tentative agreement addresses that is by giving workers a whopping one additional paid day off Uh, a personal day and then some amount of unpaid time off that would quote exempting time off for certain medical events from carrier attendance policies. And and I just want to really hammer home here that when you see contract language that includes multiple qualifiers that make things more vague, where you see something like some amount of unpaid days exempting time off for certain medical events from carrier attendance policies, every single one of those. On occasion, every once in a while. (laughs) those, those, Those factor into each other exponentially. Every single one of those is an order of magnitude of you getting more fucked by the company. 
Yeah, because every one of those is a way for the company's lawyers mm -hmm. to figure out ways to deny you that time off is the thing. So I've heard rumors that there's, I've seen rumors like on Twitter that it's three unpaid days off. But again, that because there's no, we don't have any information on mm -hmm. what the criteria are, what those certain medical events are that qualify for that. It's very possible that, that this could end up being like days that workers don't realistically have the option to use or the sort of thing where it's so like sort of means tested about whether you can get the time off or not, that it becomes while technically possible to use, functionally unusable for the right. workers. They could just be arbitrarily withheld at any moment, and knowing BNSF and the other rail companies, it seems like they would be. Right, of course. And and the the other thing about it is that, like, even if it's just, even if you don't have those qualifiers, even if it's literally just, we're giving you three unpaid sick days, blanket, and you can use them whenever, which it's, is not what the policy, which seems like it is. Even if that's what it was, that's still not really, I mean, cool. You gave workers who get one day off a month. Now they have one day off a month. They have one personal day through the rest of the year and they have three unpaid sick days. What a win. Yeah. Like, yeah. What is that's 16 days off a year. Yeah. So I mean, because it doesn't address the problem of these workers being on call 24-7. Mm -hmm. It doesn't address anything about one-person crews. And I know it, that is one of the biggest sticking points for the workers. It, from the scant uh, uh, number of worker posts that I've seen in places that aren't in my very biased, immediate circle, like workers taking to Reddit, and when I've searched... Uh, through all of the different Twitter posts sorted by most recent, it seems like the number one thing the workers are upset about is that nobody is addressing the their resistance to one-man crews at mm -hmm. all. And it seems like the the workers universally want two or more person crews on these trains at all times. Yeah, which makes sense. It's the only safe way to run a train. And mm -hmm. I mean, really, you probably need more than two people. Like, yeah, three two people is that be bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And so that's been like the big talking point. The other aspect of the tentative agreement that was mentioned as being an improvement from the PEB recommendations was with regards to health care. And now this is another spot where not having the details makes it difficult to discuss because I've seen different uh, suggestions and rumors on what the change to the health care cost is. Uh, basically, the information that we do have is that, so the PEB recommendations were going to change healthcare costs for rail workers from a cap of about $240 a month maximum for their payments to a percentage cost to up to 15% copay for all of their medical bills, which of course, if you're somebody who, you know, gets sick and has to use your health insurance, that could be huge. That could be an enormous amount of money going to that percentage cap. Mm -hmm. So we've heard that this tentative agreement rolls that back, but there is question of how much does it go back to the 230 a month or does it go to a, Still a, a solid cap, but a higher number because I've seen rumors that it will increase the healthcare costs to potentially $400 a month, which would still be much better than the 15% open-ended cost possibility, but is still a healthcare cost increase. And then I've also right. seen some things saying that, no, they're going back to the what the, the numbers were. So again, the, the yeah. lack of certainty, the fact that none of us have a copy of the TA, that really the workers don't have a copy of the, the TA because it's you know still being hammered out by the union's lawyers, like makes it very difficult to judge the specific deal. But and I think this is a common tactic with concessionary contracts is that they give yes. you something that's really awful and then they roll it back a little bit and 
say it's only a minor concession and then they've still made the you know made the workers lose in that particular circumstance yeah absolutely so we are we are certainly not you know a hundred percent on exactly what's in the contract because nobody's seen it yet. So we have to take all, we have to put out all this criticism with a huge grain of salt. But again, like from what John was saying, like you can look on the online spaces where railway workers are, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, other places. And the reaction to what has at least come out about what sounds like is in the deal seems pretty unanimously unhappy <laughs> yeah well and I, yeah. I mean i see a lot of stuff in the mainstream press about how like you know we're supposed to respect joe biden and the democrats for this and the republicans are mad because they think the democrats are using unions to angle for support and ben shapiro got all upset about this but it seems like the fact of the matter is that a lot of the railway workers are pretty furious at biden and his yeah. administration for stepping in and trying to push through this fairly insulting contract well and rightfully so i mean we were talking about the difficulty that workers have in seeking medical care. And in a story that came out this week, there was Aaron Hiles, who was 51 years old, who died from a heart attack because Mm -hmm. of his inability to seek medical care because they don't have any time off to actually deal with this. And so we have a death due to overwork specifically in relation to to the, these train contracts that are you know pending as another like a huge strike and uh, if anything this is just gonna you know light the fire for the workers even more to stand in solidarity with the fa- with his family and this you know uh, dead worker Aaron yeah well and critically both of these unions do not have to uh it doesn't have to be both of them rejecting right. these contracts in order to cause a major labor stoppage in the rail industry. If either one of them does it, it's going to have the same effect as if both of them did it, affecting all of the other unions that already accepted their contracts, of which there are, I think, five or six other unions. Right. Yeah. And to highlight even more the way that the workers are unhappy, the workers themselves have begun holding informal pickets, or at least are going to start holding informal pickets, which is basically where, you know, they're not going to be striking uh, by not working. They're going to, during the time that they are not working, so if they, you know, get done with their their shift, they're supposed to then, you know, go and do a picket, basically create a picket line uh, at wherever they are. So they're actually already organizing actions that do not violate the uh, the Railway Labor Act. Uh, and so that's also really, really highlighting how much these workers are really pissed about this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now the timetable gets rolled back again because uh, the implementation of a TA, even before it's been ratified, throws another cooling off period into mm-hmm. things. So, and the other thing that appears to... I think make this even uh, is another issue of this that makes may make it difficult for some folks who who want to vote no on this but are concerned about their one union being hung out to dry is that it looks like most of these are going to be in a staggered period as far as voting on this where one union will vote on it and then another union will vote on it two weeks later and another union will vote on it a week later so it's not all on one time frame where you could have like all of the workers voting at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, it's union by union and it's on whatever timetable they have. Like for Jonah Furman, like reported that the brotherhood of maintenance and way employees and the brotherhood of railway signalmen announced plans to mail vote ballots out this week. 
um, with a vote count on October 10th. So that would still be pretty close to now, but there's rumors that the BLET, you know, one of the two biggest unions are not going to have their voting until mid October and it's going to be mail-in voting. So it runs for a little while. And so we might not see their votes until late November or early December. Mm -hmm. So this could now, this whole process could now drag out for months, which is, of course, one of the things, the primary goals that the Biden administration had in all this was to, at the very least, push a potential showdown or potential strike to after the November elections, which is extremely cynical, but also, you know, kind of exactly what we thought they were pushing for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. so we're not really sure the way that this is going to come down and we're going to keep up on it as we get more details but uh as for now we're going to have to kind of leave a big question mark on this one yeah uh but to move to our next story we're going to be following up on the seattle teachers strike which has ended but without a ratification though one of the things that we often have uh critiqued in teachers unions is when there's a tentative agreement that comes down they unilaterally say that the strike is ended well the the union has actually put a vote to the workers where only 50 57 of the workers have voted to stop the strike so it did stop but it also shows a huge amount of discontent with the actual tentative agreement itself but there's also a little bit of a question of whether or not that vote was even supposed to be called because of the fact that the first vote to strike was supposed to be until the contract actually was ratified. So there's a little bit Mm -hmm. of a a murkiness in there, but at the moment, the teachers are going to be voting today, the 19th, on whether or not they ratify their contract. And with the amount of discontent that there is around this TA, uh, it's really, it feels uncertain as to what is going to come out of this i guess uh we'll probably you'll get an update in the discord before you'll get an actual update on this from us <laughs> yeah i mean it's just one of those quirks of timing that you know we record on 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 mondays usually and they're voting tonight so uh definitely stay tuned on that i mean so unfortunately this is another case where Again, they the, the union's under no obligation to provide their their tentative agreement to the public. They're certainly not. They have, but they have provided it to the union members. So um, th- they will be voting on that today. And just for folks, like for a comparison's sake, because uh, as Lena said, just over half of the workers voted to stop the strike, meaning like just over forty percent actually were against it. But 95% of the workers were in favor of initiating the strike. So it's not as if, like, this strike was called with tepid support where some people, like, you know, weren't in favor of going on. Like, there was mass support for the strike. And clearly a large percentage of those folks wanted to stay out longer and felt they could get a better deal. All we know right now is basically what we have as far as statements from the union on, like, the new contract would be a a three-year deal that they say maintained – this is I don't understand this language maintained and improved spe- special education ratios. That means that means uh, maintained at best. <laughs> honestly, yeah, like I don't know. I feel like you you could be more direct about this to be like in we held the line and in some places we got uh, you know improvements. We just weren't able to get improvements everywhere. Is is how that reads to me, but it's really hard to tell because it could mean a lot of things. Yeah, they're, they're basically saying like, look, this contract either does or does not improve the teacher to student ratios <laughs> in special education. I don't know what more you want from me. 
<laughs> yeah, and but it, it does also add more mental health support resources for students, which that's very good. That's, that's mm-hmm. something that the teachers have been fighting for, so that's good to hear. And achieved raises above cost of living, which, I mean, that's rare to see in, like, any contract in this country. And for a teacher's contract, honestly, even rarer, because you always have the city governments coming back and saying, look, we just don't have any money. What are we going to yeah, do? You can't pay I you. I literally <laughs> was looking this up earlier today, and there is, like, some uh, mainstream capitalist press that was like, uh, the teachers have gotten a, a, a better tentative agreement, but at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, I don't want us to come out here and be like, oh, we we hate the Seattle Education Association. That's not it at all. As Lena said at the top of this, just the fact that they had a vote on whether or not to suspend the strike. And I mean, there were, we saw some posts from, from folks on, on Instagram who were like involved with this saying that the vote was really rushed and kind of hurried through, which that, if that's true, that sucks. That's not great. But I mean, even the fact that they had a vote on it is more democratic than we see from most unions. So like, I don't want to take away from that. That's so... But the fact that it also that it was only 57% in favor of ending the strike will, will, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm guessing it will still pass because once you've stopped the strike for a week, it's real hard to restart it, especially when you've already gone back into the classroom. So I'm, I'm guessing this will pass. Yeah. But I mean, I would love to see the level of disruption some teachers could cause by going on strike, coming back from strike. And then when they don't get what they want, being like, you know what? You're going to have to keep your kids at home again. Strikes back on. <laughs> yeah. Shotgun. Strikes back on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, so we had a statement from the union just to, that they said, they said, quote, we should be incredibly proud of what we accomplished together. We want a great tentative agreement and started an important conversation with our community about supporting our students, end quote. And I mean, they're, they're certainly right. They did have big community support. We talked about that when we first talked about the strike. So uh, we'll, if you're... Definitely another reason to join the Discord because we'll be able to keep people posted on the updates for this a lot faster uh, if you're in there because we won't, obviously, you know, until next week be able to talk about what actually happens. But we do want to congratulate the Seattle teachers for actually taking the step of going on strike. And even if this tentative agreement isn't everyone's favorite, it does sound like a definite improvement over what was offered before the strike. So that in and of itself is, is definitely something to, to celebrate. Right. Well, and moving from an industry everybody's pretty much familiar with, because we've all had teachers, to an industry I think, especially in the modern day, a lot of us are not familiar with, because how many of us professionally cut down trees? So this is (laughs) 1,100 timber workers who have gone on strike across the Pacific Northwest. They're organized with the machinists, and they went on strike on Tuesday, September 13th, after negotiations over a new contract with their employer, Weyerhäuser. However the fuck you say that shit broke down. Warehouser. Uh, yeah, wire, <laughs> warehouser. So this is the first strike by them, Ward Workers Local 536, uh, and workers at the company across multiple mill locations in Washington and Oregon in 36 years. So these warehouser workers are on strike at Aberdeen, Longview, Raymond, Coos Bay, Springfield, and Cottage Grove. I, can I just say, what cute names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very much like, because I was looking up where this is, and I, cause I, I was going to say, like, oh, it's in this city. City or it's in a suburb of this city, but because it's timber workers, it's like no, it's it's explicitly not in a city. It's right. it's, it's it's somewhere that you probably like haven't heard of. Uh, you yeah, might have heard no, of Aberdeen. It, That's yeah. it, right? Yeah, no, it's uh, you know, you can just say uh, it's on indigenous land. You know, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we could country. say that about every that's every strike in this yeah. country. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and this is a, as you said, like John, this is really interesting. I think because of the fact that these workers literally haven't struck in like my entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. and, and that I think is an indication of how bad things have clearly gotten. If it's a place that has, has not been a hotbed of labor unrest and is, is now they had a like near unanimous approval for the workers to go on strike after the company's last contract offer. I mean, I think it really shows that like the current cri like the intersection of all the current crises we're under right now with like the pandemic, with mm -hmm. inflation, with all the other hits on cost of living due to like the sanctions regime from the war in Ukraine, uh, all of these things coming together at once to squeeze workers so hard that even folks that haven't struck in 36 years were like, Hell yeah, we're going on strike. Have you seen how expensive shit is at the grocery store? Right, right. Well, and there's also a factor to this that's similar to like how I think for a long time people said like you can't really organize in the South. They're too conservative. They're too racist, blah, blah, blah. It's like I, I know a lot of people know that the Pacific Northwest close to the coast, like the cities is like super progressive, whatever, like kind of American myth we tell ourselves. But the wooded interior of the Pacific Northwest is just as conservative as any southern state. So it's great to see like this kind of labor uh, energy taking off in places like that as well. Yeah. And so like just as an example of like the situation they're going through and what motivated this, like we had a quote that was from Fox 12 Oregon where they interviewed maintenance supervisor Rick Davis who told them, we have a really hard time employing any staff, getting any staff to even show up for interviews. We've had openings for millwrights, electricians, production people. We've had multiple employees leave to go right across the street, literally for higher wages. Oh, man. I mean, that's something that you see with like warehouses and stuff, but it's crazy to imagine like two logging firms right across the street from one right. another with one offering higher wages. Yeah, well, I mean, they probably hit so many different needs in a particular industry like this that, you know, the workers themselves have a couple options when it comes to places to go. But, I mean, to, to the contract, the contract proposal uh, was... You know this this concessionary contract that the company put forward was not a con was not a uh, product of them not having any money. This is right. a product of that that meme that I posted with the empty gold pile, where uh, <laughs> yes, the, the company has uh, brought in two point six billion in net earnings last year, uh, which is their strongest financial year ever. And uh, they have made it so that the workers have had to go on strike to make it so that they can actually get a contract that meets their needs. Yeah, we have a quote from worker Lonnie Treadwell. Great name. Uh, Street Fight Radio has a long-running bit about Lonnie's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so Lonnie says, quote, the costs have gone up. It's contract year, and they're not offering any benefits or to raise the wages while a loaf of bread is double what it was. The increase is so minimal, it's ridiculous. And I mean... I I know we're feeling that kind of pain all over the United States, but especially in very rural areas like this, those prices can be jacked up even further. I mean, Alaska is the example that comes to mind because it's the most extreme, but I know just in the Upper Peninsula here in Michigan, a lot of foodstuffs are much more expensive. Oh my gosh, well. if you go to a rural mart, like a rural grocery store, the prices there are way higher mm -hmm. than if you are able to go to like an Aldi in a slightly more uh, urban environment. And I mean, it's, it's absolutely unacceptable how how these people have been exploited in these rural areas and to kind of bring home the the the, the strength of this 
uh, strike, you know, because so many people are in support of it, after having not struck in 36 years, a 30-year veteran of the company uh, has said, uh, Bill Jones has told the Seattle Times, we're going on strike as long as it takes to bring this to a closure that benefits everybody. And uh, oh, yeah. I mean, if some if they haven't struck in this person's entire tenure, this thirty year tenure of this worker, and they're like, "Fuck yeah, we are going to uh, maybe <laughs> quoting Sean O'Brien, bring this company to its knees." That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you love to see. Well, it. I mean, they've they've set up literal round the clock uh, picket lines in front of the Wirehouser offices, and uh, workers are 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 going to stay out there literally twenty four hours a day. And it's like, I mean, that's a high level of commitment. <laughs> I, they they probably already work. 24 hours a day or whatever anyway. So they're like, may as well make the picket line our shifts. Yeah, and, and I think this is one of those that it's not getting as much coverage because it's, it's not in a major urban area. Mm-hmm. It's it's timber workers, which is one of those uh, groups that I feel like doesn't necessarily get as many clicks. So they're they're not as, as it's, it's not as interesting to the mainstream media to cover. But like 1,100 workers in a rural area, that's a huge part of the local workforce. Mm-hmm. So like, this is a really big strike and it's already, they've already been on for a week. So, uh, I, it'll be really interesting to see how this goes because like, I think in the same vein that we saw a lot of people like during, you know, the whole strike Tober thing last year with the start of kind of the current upsurge, you saw a lot of people strike that hadn't necessarily been the folks that everybody thinks of when they think of strikes, be it you know, teachers or nurses or manufacturing. Oh, I guess in the face of John Deere, it was manufacturing, but like in other places, you know, you have exactly like this where you, you had like Nabisco workers going on strike or you had Frito-Lay people going on strike. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, you have timber workers going on strike, I think is a really good, indication of just where the general mood of labor is right now and well it's so, kind of like uh the la- the labor movement catching up to the way that the economy is formatted now which is that, sure. like we don't make we, we don't do as much like regular industrial production as we used to and we're still kind of catching up to the idea that like yeah you have to organize baristas and grocery store workers and timber workers and we have to bring rail and agriculture workers who are not covered by the NLRA into the fold and all of this other stuff so it's been very interesting to see that upswing over the last year or so and speaking of organizing grocery store workers mm-hmm. and uh, huge strikes potential yeah, strikes yeah. at least so this this is we're this strike that we're about to talk about like will be like if it happens be you know this is another one of those if it happens it'll be the biggest strike in the country and so watch it watch there be a new TA like five minutes after we post this. right 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 but so what we're talking about now we're going to Columbus Ohio who just had you know a big uh, teacher strike so mm-hmm. a big big labor upsurge in Columbus right now where we could see over twelve thousand workers hit the picket lines at Kroger. Uh, this, so this is workers who are members of UFCW local 1059, who just last week, like overwhelmingly rejected Kroger's best and final offer for a new contract. This was, uh, these are 12,500 workers across 82 stores in the Columbus area. And over 80% of them voted to authorize a strike after voting down that most recent contract. So, one of the things that's been very funny about this strike because it hasn't gotten a ton of coverage because they haven't actually gone on strike yet. Mm-hmm. But some of the things that people have been posting, and this is mostly coming from Kroger workers themselves, has been the way that Kroger has been trying to conv- in vain to convince their workers not to strike. 
Because like they they posted these memos that they sent to every worker, they posted like at every like time clock and everything, that was all just like that was titled like "No one wins in a strike." And so this was this was I saw this from <laughs> Michael Sonato at the the Guardian. They they right before the strike vote, they they sent out this memo, and the stuff that's in it is just so pathetic because they kept going through and saying this tentative agreement is quote fully recommended end quote being like the experts say you should vote for this contract so really <laughs> you don't have any business voting against it like is is the implication there? Are you an expert in your own conditions? Yeah. <laughs> right. Kro- Kroger and- has reviewed the tentative agreement and cleared itself of any wrongdoing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the stuff the reason. They tell the workers not to reject the contract and not to strike are so funny because they're so tone deaf because the reasons that include, quote, our customers, unnecessary ellipses, who choose not to get involved may opt to shop at our competitors, end quote. (laughs) And then they also bring out (laughs) our stores on, on another unnecessary ellipses can lose business that may not return. And as the last one, the big final one that they ended their memo with, because of course, nobody's going to want to go with this is that the strike quote could potentially lead to loss of valuable market share in the competitive retail environment. And would quote. you think yeah. of the small, largest grocery store chain <laughs> in all the United States? <laughs> and also like, are those not the exact reasons why they're threatening the strike in the first place. It's right. like, we don't care about market share. We don't <laughs> fucking care if customers decide to shop at Meyer or Giant Eagle instead. We don't fucking care. You do. You're ju- you should send this memo to yourself as a reminder to just accept our demands. Right, right, exactly, because that's their whole thing. Oh, don't go on strike. We could lose market share. It's like, why would... But why are you telling me that? Like, yeah. Tell your negotiators who are writing shitty contracts that. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. why, why would the workers care about that? It's just such a goofy thing. Like, And yeah, as you said, Lena, Kroger is literally the largest grocery sh- chain in the country. They bring in billions in profit every year, and they are telling people who make like $12 an hour that they better not strike because Kroger could lose market share. Like... Come on. <laughs> I mm-hmm. I really like it's just so fucking bold and blatant how much they are just they rely on class collaborationism to to manufacture this exploitative model in the first place and and just saying like this is the only talking point they have. What about class collaborationism? Yeah. Well, and I mean looking into like what their contract recommendation included because they were all talking about our contract has quote good wage increases end quote. Mm. But Compet- what they meant I'm surprised by that they is, didn't say competitive. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the other favorite one. Because like, what the fuck? Does, what does that mean? Uh, like, our our wage is one cent better than our uh, like next competitor, whose wage is also terrible. Mm. Like, uh, I always thought that competitive meant that we all got together and we decided what the wages would be. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a there's a Smash Bros tournament to decide how much you make. <laughs> so, like, what their contract was offering was an increase to the starting wage at the Krogers in, uh, you know, the Columbus area, uh, to a whopping fourteen twenty five an hour by the end of the contract. 
not at the beginning of the contract. That's the other thing. And so I went and looked at it because I'm like, I don't know what, what the cost of living is in Columbus. I know 1425 is not a living wage pretty much anywhere in the country, but let's look it up. And, and for a single adult living by themselves with no kids. So this is the lowest, you know, living wage you could have the living wage. According to MIT's living wage calculator in Columbus is $16 an hour. So these, good wage increases that are being offered are a dollar 75 an hour lower at the end of the contract than a living wage is today right now, which is only going to go up as inflation continues to spiral. So, well, and the company itself is encouraging workers to scab their own strike by saying that a quote strike authorization does not mean a strike. Uh, saying that workers can just cross the picket line and that they're <laughs> yeah. gonna hire scabs anyway, totally like leaving out the fact that they're not gonna find twelve thousand scabs. No, well they've <laughs> yeah. they've already put up the job applications, right? Like on Indeed yeah, and stuff. Which, which I do hope we see another campaign of those like. Essentially, it's like DDoSing, but for uh, for for job listings, mm-hmm. where you know the the people were putting together like those scripts that just automatically applied to it with some bullshit fake uh, resume. Yeah, with like uh, junk because that was very cool when we saw that during the earlier strike this year at another Kroger associated, like Kroger owned chain mm-hmm. in Colorado, King Supers, where. Once again, Kroger did all this same stuff. They're like, don't strike. You better not strike. If you strike, we're just going to hire scabs and it'll be fine. Then what will then happen? And they tried that. And it lasted like a week because they couldn't hire enough scabs because it's just not possible with the economies of scale. And they were forced to give the workers a better contract. And so this is a bigger market mm-hmm. with more stores and more workers. There is literally no way that Kroger can hire 12,000 people or even 5,000 people to, to, to try and assuage the problems of a strike. So the leverage is entirely in the hands of the workers. And honestly, one of the, my biggest takeaways from reading about this, I'm like, boy, Kroger, you are doing yourselves no favors by running your own anti-union campaign instead of hiring a consultant. Cause you guys are really bad at this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also crazy. Cause like you said, like Columbus is a really, really big market, but I think when a lot of people see things happening in Columbus, it doesn't just, it doesn't really register them in their brain. How much, how big of a city Columbus is. It's the biggest city in Ohio. It's got 900,000 people in it. It's one and a half times bigger than Milwaukee, which you hear about oh, all damn. the fucking time. So like, yeah, Columbus is like a really big deal. It's the biggest city that people don't talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if we see this strike, I think people are going to be talking about it. Yeah. 12,000 <laughs> people on strike at once is a really long time. Yeah, uh, it's huge. A, lo- a lot of people. So like, uh, however, there's an asterisk here, which is that though the workers had this vote last week to authorize a strike and they did vote down what Kroger called their last best and final offer, UFCW leadership does seem like they really, really don't want to actually have to go out on strike. And Ooh. so there is another attempted round of being like, look, yeah, they're not going to accept that agreement. you got to give them something else or we're going to actually have to go out on strike. So uh, they're there does still appear to be a bit of a negotiating period, but I, I don't know. The, the workers voted 80% to authorize a strike and Kroger's already put the scab listings out there. It really seems like, you know, the carts already, you know, left the barn here. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it, 
they're in a great position. I don't understand why the leadership would not honestly, frankly, be excited to strike. Like the, the, this many workers on strike at one time at the richest grocery chain in the country. Yeah. Like, you're going to get a better contract if you strike. Yeah, strike 100%. and then come to the table and be like, now we want 60 paid days off a year. Deal with it, you know? Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah. because again, this is one of those things where, you know, every time a strike like at a place like this happens or, or a strike authorization happens at a grocery store, mm-hmm. you always get them being like, we can hire anybody. We can hire anybody off the street. Okay, can you hire 12,000 people off the street <laughs> in time and, and to keep the- all the stuff in your your fr- frozen section from melting and everything in your deli section from rotting? No, you can't. Yeah, and have them all train <laughs> each other because all right. of the experienced workers and trainers are not managers. <laughs> you know, the people right. who are on strike aren't the people who sit in the back office. They're anyone who walks around on the floor all day. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this if this strike happens, it'll be the biggest strike in the country mm-hmm. by far. Uh, so definitely we'll be watching this. But I, I got to say, like, I, I know there's still negotiations going on, but like UFCW, you have a really good opportunity to get these workers a good contract. And I, I think the strike is the way to do it. Yeah, let's hope for a good uh, $20 an hour starting wage. That's that's what that's I right. Think. That's what I think they should be going for, but we'll we'll hear from the workers. But in other ways that we've heard from workers that, you know, as we've seen with the organizing of Starbucks workers, the organizing of the Hudson workers who are the law firm workers, we've seen kind of unconventional places that people have been organizing lately. And one of those places that is newly added to the list is Geico workers, workers oh. in the insurance industry. 15 union votes could get you 15% or more in your paycheck every week. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, uh, as per reporting from uh, Dale Shoem- J. Dale uh, Shoemaker of the Investigative Post, workers at Geico and Buffalo are organizing the first union at their company, aiming to bring 2,500 workers at the company offices under one union banner. The workers are organizing independently as Geico United and have begun gathering signatures from co-workers uh, they hope to file for an election next year. Yeah, so like one of the things that got these Geico workers fired up about organizing in the first place, unsurprisingly, was the effects of the pandemic. This is something that mm-hmm. we've seen from a lot of different workplaces that have recently started organizing or recently revealed that they've been organizing. So workers say that Geico refused to reimburse them for equipment that they needed to work from home, and on top of that, reduced their benefits and frozen their 401k contributions since January 2021 and has stopped factoring seniority into wage rates which hurts the livelihoods of people who have worked for the company for a very long time, which is something else that we see pretty frequently with these really large corporations who think they can get away with it. So we have uh, Leela Balali, who is one of the lead organizers of the Geico United uh, Union, who told the investigative post, quote, this doesn't happen in union jobs. You don't wake up and your job isn't what you thought it was. This is for them. We're trying to protect the employees, which is like, fuck yeah, you know? Absolutely. That's what, that's what we love to hear. Well, yeah. and I also think that it's kind of interesting, and, and we'll get to some of the other points, but I wanted to kind of look at this as like, what would a strike at an insurance company look like? 
That's what I that's what I keep thinking about is like the the claims will not get dealt with or just so much stuff that that will affect this is it reminds me uh similar to the impacts of the the teacher strike although a little bit more decentralized hitting a, a, a little bit wider area not necessarily small communities but there will be a lot of people affected by by that sort of work stoppage and uh I don't know I just keep thinking about the aspects of how the insurance industry in general is just a really shitty middleman project for capital Mm -hmm. and and how it's absolutely awful but in that regard it has a lot of power which gives the workers themselves a lot of power so that's a that's a really interesting prospect well it is interesting because uh in insurance i think if like a large insurer like geico suddenly stopped paying out claims because they were simply unable to they would get a fair amount of leeway with the government because they do contribute a lot to political campaigns and they have their fingers in a lot of pies but at the end of the day they are legally bound to pay out insurance claims uh i think by the sec it might be a different financial regulatory authority um but you know they could get dragged into court by the people who have accounts Mm -hmm. with them over and over and over again just on the grounds that if they don't have the employees to fill the claims then the claims don't get filled yeah well and and I think one of the things, though, that like I would also want to point out with this is because I feel like the reaction from some people will be like, oh, Geico workers organizing. Well, I mean, insurance shouldn't exist, so I don't really care, mm-hmm. which I understand there. Mm-hmm. But like these are these folks are still workers. Like I, one of the things that, you know, I learned from, from reading this reporting is that, you know, Geico workers typically make 20 bucks an hour, which is, you know, more than minimum wage. But there's not some <laughs> folks aren't rich like. That's that's not some crazy salary, and and imagine like the the mental like loops that you have to jump through to be an insurance salesperson, and like I I can't imagine how, it's like selling something that should be just a, a public good, uh, in that regards for like some private industry it has to be like soul crushing. Well, well, yeah, and the and other thing is like the conditions they're working under because so much of the work that these folks do is over the phone. And I mean, is anybody who's either ever worked, you know, answering phones or selling stuff over the phone or anything doing like that? It's like those folks get so micromanaged by their like managers who are basically, you know, like slave drivers out there they're monitoring every call they're timed on every call like every word that they say on the call is reviewed and it's like oh why didn't you say this why didn't you do this you could have upsold this why didn't like so it, it i would not call this like necessarily you know a glamorous job just because it's an office job no i mean i would recommend watching sorry to bother you if you have questions yeah. about what jobs like this are like yeah and and so of course, unsurprisingly, as soon as Geico was found out like oh, that people are organizing, they immediately started a union busting campaign. Uh, and one of them, they 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 took a, a page right out of Amazon's book, the calling the police on your own employees tactic. Where so of course, as we talked about, like one of the big motivators for this strike was impacts from the pandemic. Like for instance. When the pandemic started, a lot of workers were transitioned to working from home and they had to buy equipment to do that. And they were not then reimbursed for that, which I think is illegal, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. Um, But because so many workers were working from home and still are, which I mean, that part's good, at least uh, there have a lot of this organizing by the Geico United organizers has had to be house calls where, you know, 
we know this is where our workers live. We'll go knock on the door and be like, hey, we're organizing union. You have a chance to talk about it. And so hearing about this tactic, Geico then sent an email to all of their employees telling them, quote, if you feel uncomfortable about an uninvited visitor showing up at your home, or if you've experienced any form of intimidation or harassment, you have every right to contact the police. That's really uh, <laughs> that's really bold to come from an insurance company that does cold calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually thought about that. That's a good point. But yeah, I mean, this whole thing of, uh, yeah, if you see somebody coming to your house, you should just call the police on them. Like Geico, more or less attempting to get the union organizers murdered by the police. Well, and and then they also did something that is is reprehensible, but also just kind of confusing. Where they said uh, in in another email, "quote If you want to know whether Geico United uh, scare quotes will secure or guarantee higher wages or benefits, ask what workers." United produced at Starbucks, which I'm mystified by that because <laughs> Starbucks is terrified of Workers United and yeah. it seems to be succeeding wildly well. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing is like there's they, they, they make this inference clearly trying to be like, oh, look, Starbucks Workers United hasn't won a first contract as if that's the only thing a union can ever mm-hmm. win. Like, I mean, I mean, we we talk about Starbucks Workers United movement at the end of every episode <laughs> we have for a while now. And one of the consistent things that the union has pointed out is that since they started organizing, workers across the entire company have gotten so many benefits with whether it's a higher minimum wage, whether it's better access to like ways to pay off their student loans, whether it's access to things like gender affirming healthcare, all of which have of course been used as like extortionist measures to try and like badger people to not support the union, Mm -hmm. but they are undeniable wins for the workers that would never have happened without the organizing drive. So this idea that workers United has won nothing and therefore Geico United shouldn't do anything frankly should only i think encourage these workers to be like well you know they haven't gotten a contract yet and they've already won all of these things so you should join our movement because imagine what we can get even before we get a contract yeah it's like uh think emoji let's examine this thing right here yeah (laughs) i i don't think you're making the point you think you're making similar to the kroger issue it's like why don't you just send this email to yourself and be like why don't we just agree (laughs) (laughs) and I the the union busting tactic though that they did that I loved because it's just so funny because it's so petty was the move after workers started posting material on the company bulletin boards in the office as the NLRA explicitly allows you to do if employees are allowed to post anything on a bulletin board you are allowed to post uh, union related material <laughs> and so rather than like posting you know just kind of doing the Amazon approach of we're just going to saturate the office Mm -hmm. with union busting propaganda. We're going to put it in the bathrooms. We're going to put it everywhere. They just took all the bulletin boards down. Which is also insane because like you imagine in an insurance office, bulletin boards probably serve pretty crucial, normal day-to-day functions that don't have anything to do with labor conflicts. I just love the idea that someone came in with a wheelbarrow and just like wheeled (laughs) them all out, just like stacks and stacks and stacks of bulletin boards. I heard heard the workers wanted to organize, so get those bulletin boards out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. Well, and and I think that this is also a little bit of a callback to uh, the the episode that maybe brought some people here, or the beginning of this episode with the uh, railway workers, because 
also owned by Berkshire Hathaway, uh, is Geico, which uh, is the owning company of BNSF, one of the mm-hmm. companies, the railway companies. In fact, the one that caused one of the most amounts of uh, workers quitting the job because of their insane attendance policy. And so I think that the workers can look at this and be like, wow, that attendance policy is insane. That's coming for us next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I also think that it's it's worth pointing that out because Warren Buffett has done a masterful job of a PR campaign of himself. I, I do like, I do like Margaritaville, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, just talented brothers, yeah. Warren and Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> um, but he, you know, he goes out there and he's like, I think people like me should be taxed more. And people are like, oh, Warren Buffett, he's the nice billionaire. It's like, no, while he's going out and saying that, he's doing this shit where he's like ma- making 700 workers quit BNSF because the attendance policy is so mm-hmm. awful. He's, you know, owning Geico while Geico is doing all this union busting. So th- this that it's one of those things that I think is worth pointing out just because when you see that sort of PR about members of the ruling class, it is a lie. <laughs> like it is a campaign carefully and very expensively crafted in order to disarm you and to detach in your your mind the person and the actions of the company that they own and profit from and it's very important not to let that work because it like that's the way that you get people you know like Bill Gates be, being like oh look I do all this philanthropic stuff with my foundation also while you know trying to destroy the education system in this country philanthropy is a scam kids yeah so i it's this is just yet another illustration there are no nice billionaires like they they are all a problem so and the and and the union itself has begun filing unfair labor practices against geico uh on monday september 12th they filed unfair labor practices for, quote, one, unlawfully encouraging employees to call the police on union organizers, two, unlawfully threatening employees with loss of benefits if they unionize, and three, unlawfully threatening employees that unionizing is futile, which is something that we heard from Starbucks, another Mm -hmm. reference to Starbucks here, where they're like, "Uh, yeah, even when you get the union, we are not going to bargain in good faith, and we're going to do our best to deteriorate your conditions even more as retaliation for collectively organizing yeah and i do think it is worth like just emphasizing that that like if you you know if you're working somewhere and you start an organizing drive or or one just gets started and your management starts putting that sort of messaging out like you can organize it's not gonna happen it doesn't matter nothing's gonna no one's gonna bargain with you no one's gonna sign a contract that is actually illegal like Mm -hmm. I, i i don't think like it's it's very well known, I think, as far as like things that count as like protected concerted activity and what constitutes illegal action by the employer. And part of that's just because of how toothless our labor law is. But you can very much file an unfair labor practice charge about that because they are not allowed to tell you that they w- will never bargain with you. They are unfortunately allowed to do a lot of that, <laughs> but they can't say it. <laughs> right. So, uh, I mean, yeah, this is going to be a really interesting one to follow largely because again, I'm not really aware of other, a lot of other drives like this at, at a place like Geico. And so if an independent union like Geico United can break through there, it could 
you know, really start something in a whole sector that is massively under organized. Mm -hmm. And much as we've seen, you know, this surge in, in service work organizing that's been going on over the last few months. So it'd be really interesting to watch this process as it, as it unfolds. Yeah. Well, and speaking of processes as they unfold, we're going to oh. move to Amazon where we actually have an election date for the Albany uh, ALB1 facility. Uh, that date is going to be on October 12th and is going to be kind of proceeding through the next couple days after that and we will uh, have a count hopefully if everything is scheduled properly and works out on October 18th uh, well and we're hoping for a second Amazon union under the ALU absolutely man October is going to be crazy for elections you're going to have all of these different rail unions voting you're going to have the ALB1 facility you're going to have Brazil it's going to be wild oh yeah (laughs) yeah that's true yeah and uh, so like Amazon of course like continues to be to to put out stuff it's like well yeah so the NLRB says they can have an election I guess (laughs) but but we we are still you know concerned about whether they had legitimate signatures that were submitted (laughs) as if they're like filling something out it's just like daffy duck and like all this like fake <laughs> this paperwork. one was yeah. done with a quill and ink this one was done with a blue pen this yeah. one was <laughs> done with a with a gel pen oh oh you want to see our books we'll show you ours if you show us yours like. yeah that's right <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah this election is going to be held s- somewhat similarly to the one in jfk 8 it'll be held at a tent in one of Amazon's parking lots. So of course we have to be on the lookout for them doing any of the many bullshit shenanigans that Mm -hmm. they've pulled in both Bessemer, Alabama and on Staten Island. Uh, you know, surveillance is of course an issue when it's held on company property. Maybe they'll install another illegal mailbox. Mm. (laughs) So over the next few weeks as that election date approaches, we will be watching that, but very exciting to have another ALU election in just a few weeks. Yeah, Absolutely. well, and uh, we've seen so many uh, deaths and and so many tragedies happening at these uh, Amazon warehouses, and we've seen another one, though this is mostly a uh, someone getting extremely injured in Atlanta, where a worker passed out from heat that actually led the workers themselves to strike in protest on Wednesday the 14th, which is, I I love that there is enough organizing going around at Amazon that workers know that when this shit happens, that that's when you walk the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they they walked out uh, after one of them passed out from heat exhaustion in the warehouse. It was essentially like a wildcat uh, kind of deal. And so uh, these dangerous heat conditions that we've seen in Amazon facilities are prevalent all over the country. I mean, we've talked about Rafael Reynaldo Motafrias, who was killed at work in a New Jersey facility when the lack of air conditioning and rapid pace of work caused him to have a heart attack. And then you also have contract workers with Amazon's delivery service partners uh, program who have reported temps in their delivery vans reaching 125 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, drivers have also posted about getting nosebleeds caused by the heat and relentless work rate. And it's like, uh, yeah, this kind of stuff is absolutely fucking insane. And it's not, you know, we do see this in some other industries, but it, it seems particularly intense here at Amazon. It seems like one of the things Amazon is determined to uh, not have to give a shit about is like temperature control and the pace of labor. 
Well, and for people who don't live in the United States and listen to the show, that's uh, over 51 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Yeah. I And I think because it's one of those things like we've seen problems like this at UPS. Mm-hmm. But the, one of the big differences there is that the workers at UPS have a recourse because they have a union. <laughs> and of course, you know, there's a lot of problems with the contract. That's why there's a decent chance we're going to see, you know, a nationwide UPS strike next year which would be, you know, the biggest strike since the last nationwide UPS strike. Uh, so that'll be, you know, probably the big labor story of the year next year. Uh, so, but still, when the workers have this sort of problem, they can go to their union and they can fight back against it. And we've already seen a big campaign built within the Teamsters to push back against these sort of, of temperatures that the workers are facing. The Amazon drivers, unfortunately, of course, do not have a union yet right now, especially because the vast majority of them in their, you know, that delivery service partners program are independent contractors, which in many cases, in fact, makes it illegal for them to form a union mm-hmm. because it's it, it would be considered an illegal trust if they were to uh, do that, which is one of the many, many reasons why this show has repeatedly said that misclassification of workers as independent contractors is one of the biggest problems facing workers in this country. And we need changes, be they legislative, be they mass movements, whatever way that we're going to push it through to get rid of that misclassification. Because as long as that's in place, organizing under the NLRA it is impossible for mm-hmm. those workers. So I think it's important to keep those labor conditions in mind when we're talking about the what these drivers are facing, especially because the way that they're treated as independent contractors, they're basically pitted in permanent competition against each other for Amazon's business. So all of this just compounds to make those working conditions horrible. And of course, all of this contributed to the workers in Atlanta, well, in Stone Mountain, outside of Atlanta, to actually walk out. So, like, we have a quote here from worker Lillette Hamilton, who spoke at the walkout about her own back injury on the job when she was moving some boxes, which the company failed to address, saying, quote, they had to actually lift me up and put me into a wheelchair. And they told me that I needed to drive myself to urgent care or to the hospital. How was I doing that when I can't move? I couldn't move. It hurt to breathe. And no ambulance was called or nothing, end quote. Yeah, that that quote right there brought me back to the thought of another person that we had covered getting injured at an Amazon facility where we're like, wow, I can't believe that they drove themselves to the hospital. That was like insane, Mm. the perseverance of of humans and workers. And then to, to see this being like, no, it's actually that they were very likely told they had to drive themselves with the hernia. She, the, the person had a hernia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that it just highlights even more when we even get an, a chance to observe these these injuries or these conditions. They are worse than we think. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that I thought was so striking about the folks that are leading up that campaign in Albany for their union to join the ALU because one of the things that they've done as part of their campaign is tweet out pictures of just the bruises that workers get on a day-to-day basis, the stuff that doesn't even get counted as an injury, the stuff that's just considered by the company the cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. And these are like enormous, deep, like really horrific-looking bruises, and it's just like this is every worker 
constantly at the, because it's built into Amazon's business model on how they run people into the ground. And so, you know, in addition to the demands that, that Amazon actually, you know, take working conditions seriously, provide safe working conditions for the workers as far as heat, they also called for the company to actually fix faulty equipment that has been causing workers to get disciplined for working too slowly. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and this all comes after the company, you know, Bezos himself during a during an announcement said that the minimum wage at Amazon would be raised to $18, but huge surprise at a warehouse just outside Atlanta in a by far majority black area, that hasn't happened. What a shocker. Yeah. So all of this was made parts of, of, of their demands. So, you know, really good to see these workers standing up and, and fighting back in a really difficult environment. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of demands relevant to uh, uh, pay raises, let's talk about the workers in St. Louis uh, at the Amazon facility, the STL8 facility in St. Louis, Missouri, who on that same Wednesday presented a petition to management signed by over 350 workers demanding better pay and working conditions. But specifically, and this is one of the best demands I've ever heard, they asked for a $10 an hour raise and a $1 an hour raise for every additional work responsibility added to anyone's job description, an end to pay caps after three years of employment, and a safer work environment overseen by a worker-led safety committee, which is like, I <laughs> you go in asking love, for a pay raise, that's how you do it. <laughs> I love the raise for every additional work responsibility. That's yeah, super critical. a big one. That that one, I mean, because one of the things, so like, look, I, I read a lot of labor history. It's, this is part of doing the show. I mean, uh, and one of the things, like when I was reading all of Kim, like a bunch of Kim Moody stuff for when we were doing the decline of American unionism and some of the stuff I'm reading right now, one of the things that is really emphasized when you look at the history of U.S. labor and why U.S. labor declined in power is these contracts that gave up controls over job descriptions, controls over just workflow of, of being able to maintain this is what your job is and not have it be this constant creep of more and more and more and more stuff with no increase in pay, no increase in benefits, no increase in time off. So putting something in like that where it's like, okay, you want to add more worker responsibilities without hiring another worker? Fine, pay for it. Like, cause that's the, the thing. It's like, you're asking them to do more work without any additional pay. Mm -hmm. So coming out there and just saying, yeah, sure, you can keep adding work responsibilities to people. Sure, you're the boss, whatever, fine. It's your company uh, for now. Like, But if you want more work out of workers beyond what you hired them to do, then you got to pay for it. Yeah. And it's like it seems like a pretty reasonable proposition to me. Well, and, and you hear this from the workers themselves. Like you have a worker organizer, Kayla Breitbarth, who told More Perfect Union, quote, on top of being unsafe in the workplace, they have really high demands and they are not willing to pay for the demands. We are the slave labor of the modern day. We should be getting paid a whole lot more for what they are expecting out of us. And I love that these workers are just, they keep coming back down to this labor intensification as the main bit of the struggle. And they're giving them the option. They're really being nice about it and saying like, look, you can either stop until intensifying my labor or you can pay me for the intensity of the labor but you can't do one and not do the other you know like yeah absolutely and so these folks have been organizing with the help of the missouri worker center which is awesome and uh, so like this all kind of spiraled after management repeatedly ignored requests for pay and condition improvements by numerous workers as individuals and this is one of the things that i think is so important to point out because what do we hear from every single company when their workers start to organize, every single one of them, uh, they roll out third the line. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, yeah, there's the third party line. But there's also the, look, 
we we understand you have concerns. We just think that we could better work that out uh. if you came to us to talk to us directly. These people did that. That's the third party argument. They went and talked to them directly, and the management told them to fuck off. So, all right. They tried that avenue. You said no. And so now they're like, okay, fine. We have to come together as a group. I mean, so like it, another worker there, Jay Lopez, explained to, to more perfect union saying that they that they just came together and they decided they had to make a change, saying, quote, it's always like, oh, we're doing a survey. We're looking for the data to see if we're paying a competitive price or wage, and we're gonna get back to everybody at the beginning of fall. These questions were going around in March. People have been asking and asking, and they've yet to respond. And that's basically what brought us here. Not surprised. Those surveys are all, like, fucking surveillance scams, honestly. Like, they're not there to be like, oh, we should, uh, we, we realize everybody's mad and they want, they should get more pay. It's like, no, how do we get around these? How do we, like, kind right. of bend these demands to be like, oh, well, what we've done is we've made sure that there's a guaranteed pizza party every month. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So really inspiring to see we got another ALU union election. We got workers leading walkouts. We got one day strikes. So, you know, workers are fighting back and, and it's really great to see. Absolutely. Well, we can move on from uh, one of the, how do I want to characterize these? The giants of industry that labor has to fight. Uh, the the two corporate brothers standing at the door, one of whom always tells a lie and the other of whom always tells a lie. You may ask them one question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're going to move on from Amazon to Starbucks. So this week, Starbucks held their annual investor day where they held a meeting with major shareholders and announced their plans for future growth, uh, normal corporate behavior, which is to say reprehensible. And for this year's meeting, the company announced yet another new slate of benefits restricted only to non-union stores. Uh, in this case, offering up tools for student loan repayment, faster sick time, accrual, and a savings account program. I think we alluded to these earlier in the show. And the company also announced an end to its COVID sick leave policy, now requiring workers to use personal time or work while sick. So it kind of seems like they're trying to offer some things up to their workers and also take some things away in an attempt to try and edge out the union and, and say, oh, these, aren't, these things aren't available to you. But that's a straight up point blank, bald faced violation of the NLRA. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, the NLRB actually sided with the union in finding that Starbucks was breaking the law by only offering benefits to non-union stores. So it seems like Howard Schultz's appetite for willingly and knowingly breaking labor law is endless. He just loves to do it. Yeah. He can't stop himself. Well, and I think that I want to point out here the the evil Democrats with Joe Biden announcing the end of the pandemic is one of the things mm -hmm. that has led to this yep. labor intensification in regards to COVID and the safety of people at work because mm -hmm. the company can easily be like, well, no, the president said that COVID's over so you don't get any benefits anymore and uh, that's just how it fucking goes. And uh, so it just shows again how Democrats are not on the side of workers, and they honestly will never be on the side of workers. Yeah, and obviously, and I and I, I don't want to just uh, mis mischaracterize, you know, maybe another bourgeois capitalist party as the one to go to. Obviously, they are both horrible institutions that should be abolished. Uh, but you know, the Democrats are in power right now, so fuck them. Well, yeah, I mean, there, well, there's there's also no difference functionally between the two groups. COVID policy. One is COVID doesn't exist. And the other one is COVID is over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's no, they're, they're, but their actual material policies are both, oh, you got sick too fucking bad. 
Are we going to give you sick time? No. Are we going to give you... Uh, Paxlovid. No. Are are we going to give you any protections whatsoever? No. no. And by the way, we're also taking away all the funding for vaccines. So now you're going to have to pay for those too. So mm-hmm. like there, there's, there is no functional difference between the two wings of the one bourgeois party on this. Like there is also very little difference on many other issues, but anyways, <laughs> back to Starbucks, like this is one of, I think the, more flagrant of the many, many flagrant, you know, examples of law breaking by the company. Because as you mentioned, John, like just a couple weeks ago, the NLRB said you cannot offer benefits to only non-union stores. Mm-hmm. You have to offer them to everyone. This is how the law works. And the Starbucks is coming out. Okay, cool. We don't care because there's no punishment for them. The worst case for them is that a few months from now, because of how slow the board's process works and because of how overwhelmed they are and how underfunded they are, like that they get a nasty gram letter from the NLRB that says you either have to come to a settlement or we're taking you to court. And then they can either, they can drag that out a bunch more ways. And ultimately the worst case for them is that some nameless member of their management stands in front of a camera and half-heartedly reads a letter that says Starbucks agrees. We will not break the NLRA by offering blah, 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 blah. And that's it. That's it. That's Mm -hmm. the worst case scenario from breaking these parts of the NLRA, which is why it's always so good to see the militancy of the workers at Starbucks workers United, because it's only through that, through the collective action of the workers themselves, that we are actually going to be able to enforce labor law, not by relying on the state. Um, And speaking of worker militancy, you know, we at that same investor day, we saw hundreds of Starbucks workers, United members and supporters gathered at the Seattle uh, HQ uh, for the investor day meeting to protest and to demand that the company stop its union busting campaign. And so in order to protect the very fragile ears and eyes of the investors in the building, Starbucks responded with a very, uh, you know, mature and adult response to a protest, which was they uh, took paper and covered the inside of the glass doors and windows of the first floor so nobody inside could see the protesters. That's insane. Which it's like, I'm like, do you think your investors lack object permits? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like if they can't see the protesters, they're not there. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like such a childish and unnecessary move. I have a solution for this. Some good old fashioned peekaboo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And I mean, it's just gotten to the point where, it, cause that didn't work. I mean, like a group of investors, including New York city's pension funds, mm-hmm. which are very large, which I believe have a, they have like an investment in the company of like some a couple hundred million dollars. Uh, who have actually launched a resolution and have started a campaign within the shareholders of Starbucks to try and get the company to change its course on union busting, putting out a quote saying, we believe the apparent misalignment between Starbucks uh, public commitments and its reported conduct represents material, reputational, legal, and operational risks and may impact its long-term value. So when (laughs) even... These, you know, bloodless investors are like, eh, your union busting campaign's a little loud. Yeah. <laughs> Might be going a bit far. Might be time to dial that back a bit. Like, you know that the company is doing some ridiculous bullshit. And, and right in that vein, we had another big announcement as part of their union busting campaign last week, which is that Jazz Brizak, 
who one of the, the faces of the Starbucks Workers United movement. She's one of the organizers who was at the very first store in Buffalo that unionized, has, has appeared and, you know, and spoken eloquently at panels at like Labor Notes and other places, was forced out of the company this past week by their the same methodology that we've seen used to force so many other worker organizers out of the company by using scheduling prerogatives that the management has to intentionally schedule Brizak for more time and time at different periods that she could possibly be available for. Mm -hmm. So she put out a statement to her manager on her resignation saying for seven months, you and Starbucks have been retaliating against me by refusing to accommodate my availability and my time off requests and scheduling me when I am not available to work in an attempt to force me to quit. Starbucks has deliberately made my continued employment at the company impossible. Yeah, and that's a classic because, I mean, when I went through my union uh, campaign and saw that it was like a lot of the union supporters were getting bad scheduling. There were people, like I think I've told the story, where we had one disabled co-worker who uh, needed accommodations to be able to sit instead of stand all the time mm-hmm. and uh, was not able to go to the doctor necessarily and so uh as retaliation the boss came in and just took their chair and said no now you have to stand despite the fact that that would basically lead to you know more health in uh injuries and that person quit yeah well i mean that's what happens brysak literally said that over the past year the company has either fired or just forced out at least 10 of her co-workers and this matches a pattern that like we've seen personally having worked for the company and we've seen doing the news on this show every Every week, it's like not just at Starbucks, but at, at companies all over the country where they deliberately uh, use their control of worker schedules and make it impossible for organizers to even arrive at their shifts there at the store. I mean, Bryzak said in her statement that she looks forward to being reinstated following the NLRB's review of her unfair labor practice charge. But I mean, I have to imagine that it's going to be a pretty interesting environment uh, <laughs> once uh, Bryzak actually is back at the store. I, I mean... I really appreciate that commitment though. Yeah. It's not cause like, I mean, she could go all sorts of other places, but it's, it's that commitment to her coworkers and to the union that, cause there's so many cases like this where, you know, even if you do win the charge, the people's just like, I'll take the back pay. I'm not going back there. Cause mm-hmm. it was a horrible environment. Totally get that. But like, I think that's one of the things that, you know, is, is a sign of a real dedicated organizer. Um, but so one other thing, though, like to continue, but like on this point is that, you know, the union busting doesn't stop, but neither does the fight back mm-hmm. from the workers. So like the 874 com av strike in Boston that has been gone going for two months now continues despite the escalating police repression. So last week, Starbucks threatened to charge picketers with trespassing, which forced them to move their picket line to the sidewalk. And since those threats Boston police have posted a 24 hour presence at the picket line after not doing that for the first couple months and have repeatedly threatened the workers by parking a prisoner transport vehicle next to the picket line. Yeah. And it's not entirely clear who's paying for this because there's really only two options. There is the tax dollars that are paying for the police to then, you know, basically union bust this uh, strike. But there's also, because of the way that our police state is set up, the company can hire officers to be uh, uh, patrols, 
uh, of sorts for between ninety and one hundred and thirty dollars an hour, and I think that that's just based on one screenshot that I saw. Uh, and so, regardless, it is the the capitalist repressive state apparatus at it again, folks, mm-hmm. uh, coming either from the local government that is not interested in supporting workers or the company that is specifically interested in crushing workers as much as they can. Yeah, and I mean, I can testify that BPD was happily do this sort of stuff for the city or for anybody else. I mean, like, I was at a protest in Boston a couple of years ago, and we found out that, like, this was after, like, the BPD just attacked the crowd and pepper sprayed a shitload of people for no reason that like the guy who led that and was the one who actually did most of the pepper spraying is this like, I don't know, middle management level cop who made like $300,000 that year, mostly through this sorts of like extra work and overtime with the city. So yeah, I mean, it's the continued use of police as strike breakers, which is what they've been used for since they were created. Uh, check out our series on both the repressive state apparatus and the very first textile strikes for some discussion of the early history of cops as strike breakers. Mm-hmm. But just to close out our regular segment, just as a status update for the Starbucks workers United movement of the stores that have come to votes, we currently are sitting at 238 union stores and only 52 stores voting against the union out of nearly 300 elections in the last nine months. A rate success rate of uh, just over 80%, well ahead of the average union election success rate. And while you know union individual union election votes have slowed down, uh, there continue to be victories just about every week. And there are still, I think, another at least 50, 60 stores that have filed that haven't held their election. So, uh, yeah, there's no reason to see the movement slowing down really anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's where we're at with Starbucks. And so I think now we would only thing left to do is go into the the fun image description part of the show. That's what I'm talking about. We've got this first one, which is from some tweeter facebook villain yeah some guy uh yeah i made this and i i was just kind of like uh, cruising around twitter looking at what people were saying and uh, i saw a lot of uh liberal takes about how like congress should do something about this so i i took the meme format where the guy is like holding a board meeting and he slammed his hands down the table and he's saying okay how do we prevent a nationwide rail shutdown and you have the first two like yes men kind of uh, corporate people who are like make striking more illegal and then the lady's like make congress force them to work and then you have the cheeky guy leaning on his hand and he says just give in to their contract demands <laughs> and you see the uh, the boss get furious and the guy just kind of gives him blank eyes and then in the last frame <laughs> he's being tossed out of what is uh, ostensibly a very high story window <laughs> yeah that's it's a very good meme i mean that's what we always say do you know how to prevent a strike the workers are telling you exactly how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> They're giving you instructions with their demands. I, yeah. I know it's cheating to put one of our, like uh, one of the host memes it's in the meme not, review. But I did it. it. <laughs> the messaging I thought was just very important. So, mm-hmm. well, uh, we can go to what is a staple of our meme review, a DeShare Zone meme. That's right. I mean, everybody loves DeShare Zone. And, you know, this one I really appreciated because it's, you know, it's very true. So, one of the things that we see all the time across this country that is the constant criminalization of ever being anywhere without spending money. <laughs> so in recognition of that, this is a meme from the share zone. So you've got a 
big, kind of a weird looking skeleton. Uh, and it's just legalized loitering, meet new people <laughs> outside parentheses, safe air. <laughs> I can do it if I want. It's illegal. So pigs can bother us. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> it's illegal because it's fun and doesn't cost any money. Mm -hmm. Eco-friendly. <laughs> it's fun. It's cool. It's local. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. And then the last point is just bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's eco-friendly. Eco-friendly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, with all the, the wonderful misspellings, but <laughs> it's local. Yeah. Everybody loves the share zone. And this point is Honestly, despite it just being a goofy skeleton meme, I also think is one of those things that is so frustrating about like U.S. cities mm -hmm. is how there's no public space that anyone's allowed to use and everything's hostile architecture. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I love sitting on a bench that has a divider in the middle and is slanted forward and has no back. That's my my back and my ass and my feet. Really appreciate you putting this uh, slanted divided two by four here on the sidewalk. Yeah. Well, and this next one, and I usually don't like these comics, uh, but I think that this one it really highlights a part of the labor you know, process that that is so frustrating for so many people, and it's uh, the what this is like a rage comic type thing mm. where we have the the bearded guy who says yes. He says, "I'm looking for a new job," and the smug uh, outline Bojack. guy. Oh, Wojak, uh, outline guy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sure. Why not? Uh, says, sure. I need you to take two assessments, a text screen, and we'll want three interviews with you, and then maybe we'll consider you. And then the bearded uh, yes guy says, never mind. I accepted a job at another company that offered me what I wanted after one interview. And then the screaming, bleeding eye face guy uh, says, no, you were supposed to jump through hoops to prove your worthiness. It's just like. <laughs> You know, the interview process is so fucking shitty, and it's like, but, you know, as they say, nobody wants to work anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. A lot of companies uh, will interview man. you for positions that they don't even intend to hire for, just because it's they true. like to interview a lot of people and keep uh, people's information on file. Yeah. Uh, surveillance of the uh, of the uh, reserve army of labor. And there was also all those scams during the PPP loan mm -hmm. period where it'd be like, oh, no, I'm definitely maintaining my payroll. Look, I got all these job listings. I'm not going to hire anybody because I'm just going to pocket that money and get it right. you know, forgiven. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of fake job listings because of that. But anyways, moving on to a, you know, cla another another classic contributor to the meme review. We've got a teenage stepdad joint here from Means TV. Uh, relating to the seemingly unending period of mourning for Queen Elizabeth, who is dead and has now been dead for a couple of weeks, but we can't stop hearing about this shit. People are <laughs> queuing up from as far as Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I was uh, actually watching the Means Morning News thing, and uh, one of the things that uh, Sam Sachs pointed out is that this the, the king is so fucking unhinged that if it were like 100 years ago, he would have a body count like fucking sky high beyond what is what what is normally happening on the day-to-day -day at this point it's like fucking unhinged shit going mm -hmm. on but anyway yeah, king's king sausage fingers king um, chucky is what i've been calling him <laughs> yeah so this one is a it is a modification of the uh the the empire strikes back poster but it's the empire can fuck off <laughs> 
And so it's got, you know, the go, the force ghost of Queen Elizabeth. You've got King Charles as Jabba the Hutt with a big predator drone. You've got workers in the background in shadow building a, a, a guillotine. You've got Mark Zuckerberg is on here with yeah. uh, pointy ears with pointy ears for some reason. And then you've got uh, Bill Gates as C-3PO. That's a Star Wars reference I still get. And a, a Windows 3.1 PC <laughs> as R2-D2. <laughs> and, and then it's just captioned at the bottom. We are not free under monarchy or all oligarchy. Fuck them all. That's right. Yeah. A.E. Abolish Empire. Let me see if I can zoom in on this text. It says... No, I got to make it bigger. Can anyone read this? Life has to be more than working to generate wealth for maniacs. <laughs> it's true. Absolutely. Well, not um, just bread, then, but also roses. And also, I don't want to make a maniac wealthier. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And uh and then I brought in this kind of just like nice graphic for our last one, which is uh a just a, a nice text meme it says if you're inconvenienced by a strike blame the boss not the workers and it shows this graphic of uh a, a fighting cloud where there's arms coming out and legs coming out of this fighting cloud and also money coming out and i, I just think that this is a, a nice little piece of propaganda that uh, maybe you should save to your response folder in your phone mm, that's a very smart place to put it yeah and uh, with that, we want to thank you all for listening. And as usual, you can support us and our show by going to patreon.com slash workstoppage and giving us $5 a month it is how we get this program done. And you also will get access to all of the mini overtime episodes that we have promoted throughout the episode. I will not go over it again. Jump in the Discord and hang out with us. We, you know, hang out in, in the voice chat now. And uh, there's always lots of updates in the Worker News channel. Write us a five-star review literally anywhere. I guess Apple Apple Podcasts. Uh, follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. We are on YouTube at slash Work Stoppage. We are on, I think, Facebook. Book at work stoppage. If you jump in the Discord in the rules channel, there is a list of every single place you can find us. In fact, you can also go to workstoppagepod.com and find that information. You can also listen to BP Bloodus and listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest and solidarity forever. That's right. Solidarity out there. Solidarity.